Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. All right. Um, wow, the Proctors crushed it today. Glad you guys are a part of us. That's awesome. Little duo there. That's awesome. Um, maybe next time your kiddos should come up and do something. Maybe that'd be fun. No, you don't trust them. Um, well, I uh, before we get started, uh, my name is Trey. By the way, I get to be the pastor here, and I love you guys deeply. This is the best. I love Sundays more than ever. I grew up not liking them, so I'm just pumped to get to be here. Um, but unfortunately, when I was worshiping, it was a great song. Nobody, nobody like you, and I just. I don't know if you felt this recently, but, um, you know, I've just been reading about Afghanistan, and it's, it's really hard to worship here in just in safety, and no people are just being killed and, and are just sleeping on streets and have no idea what's going to happen in their life, and, um, and trusting that God is on his throne, not just in America or in Ohio, but in Afghanistan, and... Um, it's a weird feeling because you're excited, like trusting in who God is, but you, you see and you, you feel the weight of, um, I don't know, you just watch the, look at the pictures, you know, and they just wreck your heart. So I want to do something a little bit weird. Um, if you're new, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Contrast. Um, I would love for just, just for a few minutes, if you could just get into groups of like two to five, it doesn't even matter, and just, can we just pray uh, for Afghanistan and uh, in, in America and trying to get out, um, just even trying to get out Americans by Tuesday and the things that are going on. Um, I'm just going to give you guys a few minutes if that's okay. If you don't feel comfortable praying in group, you can just totally sit, but uh, I just, I feel compelled. I think we need to do it. So just a couple minutes in a group, uh, just pray for them and us. Thank you. 
right, let me just close us as you get back to your seats. Sorry to cut you off. Lord, we just, we lift up um, this world to you and we remind ourselves, Lord, one, that this is not our, our permanent home and two, that you are, um, you are aware of, of the, the suffering and the hardship and the difficulty and the tension and, uh, and Lord, that we, we place our trust in knowing that your plan is, is the right plan and uh, Lord, we just want to be yielding to that uh, in the midst of that. And Lord, we just pray that we'd be servants and we'd help in whatever way we can uh, for this situation as we remember that you've created every one of us on earth in your image and that they are image bearers and that we, uh, we want to love them as if we believe that is true uh, in you. So we love you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for doing that, guys. I appreciate it. Probably not the best transition. I kind of had like a funny story at the beginning, so um, there's really no way to do that. But um, I've been I've been flying a lot lately. Um, Sarah's been flying way more than I have. Her mom wasn't doing well a few months ago, and so um, you know I felt like one of those guys who wakes up at like 6 a.m. in New York and is like flying out to like L.A. to have a business meeting to fly back every day. You know, like I just felt like we're in the airport so much, and then we have Junia who's super young, and so. Uh, there was a point where I, I was just like, no more flying, I'd rather just drive for however many hours. But the one thing that I, I literally, since I've started flying, I don't even know how old I was when I started flying, but that I always ask myself, I've never had it answered until this week, um, you, you know, you get on the plane, and you look in the cockpit, and there's, there's two pilots. Now, I don't know about you guys, and I haven't researched it, but I mean, pilots make pretty good money, I think, especially like ones that fly massive amounts of people in a plane. Um, as opposed to like commercial like packages, but um, you know, I always wondered why there's two pilots. Like, talk about like you want to cut budget. Like, only have one pilot. Like, I, I mean, honestly, I was surprised. Like, Spirit Airlines, like if they really want to be as cheap as they want to be, they should only have one pilot, you know. And if they like fall asleep, they fall asleep, you know. That's what you get for flying Spirit. Um, <laughs> and I mean, or at least like you know, when, when you get your, um, you pay seventy dollars for your bag one spirit, then maybe that would pay for the other pilot. But I just, I feel like I, I don't get it. And uh, so I researched it. You know, I did some light reading on the FFA requirements, FAA, FAA requirements for fun. This is what I do during the week, if you're wondering. <laughs> just kidding. And uh, there were several reasons why. I don't have them all listed, but there was one that I found pretty interesting that I think is relating to where I'm trying to go with today. Uh, and it is this thing known as a blind spot. You ever heard of a blind spot? Everybody has them. Uh, and so in order, in, in order to kind of show this, uh, I need one volunteer, just one person who's just really, okay, Paul's going to do this. Okay, so Paul, go ahead and see, can you stay in the middle of the aisle real quick? So we're going to throw up this image, okay, and just back up a little bit, go about 10 feet backwards. So you're going to put, this, this works for most people, but not for everyone. You're going to put your hand over your uh, left eye, and then I want you to, if you can, walk to where the plane disappears, but you will need to stare at that the whole time. You just walk towards me and see if it, does it disappear at all. Got to go slowly. Okay, if it didn't do it, it probably didn't work because it's usually back there. <laughs> try, try one more time. Back up more because it might be farther back. Stare at that the whole time. Cover your left eye. Walk slowly and keep staring at this. And in your periphery, this should disappear. The plane on the right. Yeah. We tried this earlier and most people it worked. Lucas apparently has a special power because it didn't work for him. So maybe you and him should hang out. Nope, it's not working. All right, well, great job, Trey. Oh, it's working? You can't see it. There we go. Round of applause for Paul. So, 
So if you were a pilot and you were flying Spirit and we were trying to save money and you were by yourself, you just would have got hit and we all would have died. And so there's two pilots for one of the reasons is because of blind spots. What Paul can't see, the other pilot can see. And, uh, and there's two blind spots that humans have that are, that are uh, like well known. The one is the anatomical blind spot, which is literally a place in your optic disc, this is nerdy, in each eye that is void of cones and rods. You're wondering, it's how you see cones and rods. Um, which is void of vision. So essentially when you look at something, there's a spot in your, uh, in your eye in the center that, that can't see something. That's your anatomical blind spot. And then there's another one, which this blew my mind. Uh, it's called a night blind spot. And this one occurs right in the center, about 5 to 10 degrees wide, because of the absence of rods in your fovea, which is your sharp vision spot. And this is why, this, this blew my mind. Okay, when I grew up, I had stars on my ceiling. Anybody have those? Okay. Wow, some of you didn't have, oh, stars are the best. Okay, so you'd fall asleep to the stars, but you'd go to stare at one and it would disappear. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. This would drive me nuts. I would stare at it and I'd be like, it's gone. And then I'd look over there and I'd be like, it's, I know it's back. And then I'd go to look at it and it would disappear again. This explain. I just found this out. I'm a grown man. I just found this out this week. That's why all that time I thought I had a problem. But there's a, there's a night blind spot. When you stare at something, it actually can essentially become gone. And so... Um, what I want to talk about today is blind spots, and I want to talk about them because everybody has them, and the hard part about blind spots is we don't necessarily know what we're blind of or when we will be blind. Like for Paul, I was kind of giving him like, hey, you're probably going to hit it around this area, um, but, but for some of us, we have, we have no idea where they're at, what they do, or the damage they do, and we have to have other people involved in this. And so today, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 7, if you want to open up your Bibles. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus here is confronting uh, confronting, basically judging others. It's basically this lack of humility that we have as people. And if you don't believe me, there was a statistic done a few years back uh, by a psychologist and researcher. His name is Tasha Urich. She studied thousands of people around the world, and they, they conclude that 95% of the people believe that they're, that they're self-aware, okay? But only about 10 to 15% actually are. So what does that mean? that we think we're really great, where we think we're aware of our blind spots, which is literally not how it works. It's called a blind spot because you can't see it. And, and humans are so capable of that. And so Jesus is talking about, in this passage, um, judging and being critical of others, and it's kind of like our blind spot. In fact, if you've been with us, we've been going through Matthew for several weeks, and this is Jesus' biggest teaching we see in the Bible. So this is like, if you want a glimpse of Jesus, this is where you find it. And the last two weeks, so last week and the week before that, we talked about uh, an attitude towards money and an attitude towards the things of the world. Today we're talking about basically an attitude towards others. And then next week we're going to talk about an attitude towards God. So Jesus, as we know, in this sermon specifically, the culture before him was everything you do needs to be shown before people, but it doesn't matter really what's inside. Like if you do the right thing, great, even though your heart is way far from it. Jesus comes in, he raises the bar even higher, and he says, your internal reality, what you're your attitude, your will, all that is, is so important for what you do. And so that's why he's attacking our attitude here. He's attacking with money, with possessions, with people, and with God. And if you're like wondering, what do you mean by attitude? I, the best way to think about it is just uh, a way of feeling or acting towards something or situation. So like if you have a bad attitude, I don't know about you, but like people can, I, I have a hard time hiding it. Like if I'm not having a good time, people usually know and they're probably not having a good time. <laughs> it's hard for our internal um, it, it will always affect our external because if we try to separate the two, we'll become what Jesus will actually call us, which is hypocrites. And so in verse 1, if you're there, we're going to be reading out of the uh, Net Bible. So if you're on your, your 
Bible app, and you're wondering, we're reading from the NET in that Bible. Verse 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged, and the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite. Now I want to pause here. Uh, This is the only time that we see Jesus call basically um, like followers of him hypocrites. So every other time he uses it, he's talking about the Pharisees who were those, the religious elite that were obsessed with the external performance with very little inward heart reality. And, and so he's calling us out here, and uh, the word he uses for judge is the Greek word karino, which it basically means to condemn. Uh, now, now, we think of condemnation like as always a negative thing, right? If you're being condemned, you condemn a house. It's like really, really bad, and it typically has a negative uh, connotation to it. In this instance, it is condemned in, in, in that meaning, but it doesn't always mean that it's, it's bad in the way that you are basically judging someone, meaning you're, you're finding fault with them. So it might not always be bad, but what Jesus is getting at here is there's this kind of reciprocation that you're going to receive. And uh, several weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus gives us kind of this manual, this beautiful poem, if you will, of, of what prayer looks like and how to do it. And, and in that, it talks about basically only being forgiven by God for those who forgive others. He's kind of talking about this, this reciprocation, right, that in order for us to, uh, to forgive others, we have to understand the weight of, of how we've been forgiven. And in the same way, in order for, when we judge others, it has to be rooted in understanding the judgment that we have had or deserve. And, and so he kind of gives us this idea. And, and what it's reminding us of, and I think it's, it's interesting that Jesus puts this passage here. If you, if you look in your Bible, we're in chapter 7. Uh, and now you know back in the day, whenever the, they were assembling the Bible, there was not chapters and verse numbers. And so a lot of times as we read the very Western, we like stop. Oh, new number, new idea. And you just kind of like separate, right? Well, it's all together. But it does feel weird. It feels like he's kind of just jumping into a whole other thing. But like I said, he's taking almost four, we're taking four Sundays on attitude. And here, I think it's beautiful where he's putting it. And the reason why is, and the reason why he's calling us hypocrites is because if we were to read the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters five through seven, if we were to read everything he's said so far, he is shattering the culture. He's taking it and he's flipping it completely upside down. But the reality of what that means is that those who actually partake in what he's saying, meaning those who, who are willingly step into his kingdom that actually decide, I want this, this is compelling, I want to follow this, I want to be a part of this, I want to I do the things that Jesus is telling me to do. The, the negative and the potential downside of that is that in that very act of, of participating in that, that you can start to elevate yourself higher and higher and higher, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. And so Jesus is aware that the only thing that can catch you, I think, in following Jesus' kingdom is a pride against other people. Meaning, and I think you would probably know this to be true in your own life in some ways, is that the people who follow Jesus can often be the most critical people you know. Because sometimes it's, you know, it's not um, maliciously intended, but we live this ethic we believe is right. We believe Jesus has created the narrative for how to be human, right? And we try to follow it, and other people don't. And so what we do is we try to, we try to be critical of other people because we believe we know the right answers and the way, and that we're following it perfectly. And so Jesus essentially right away knows this will be the temptation for those who believe in this kingdom, that when they enter into it upon grace, like he, he gives us this list of people who will be first in the kingdom, and they're just people who are social outcasts and, and have problems, and they're sinners, they're broken, that those very people can, be, can easily swing to become basically a Pharisee, to be hypocritical, to be two-faced, to, to do the things of the Lord, but judge everyone else around them for not doing the right things. 
And so that's what he's getting at here, and it's, he, he, pray, he places it here brilliantly because I think he knows, and it says in the Scripture, he knows the human heart. He knows what we are prone to lean into. And I would say as a pastor, you know, I read this, and I feel conviction as well because, you know, being a pastor is, is hard. It's sometimes, sometimes I feel like my job is to judge people in that like, we're evaluating people's lives and trying to be helpful. It's the same if you were a fitness coach. Like, you know, you might evaluate the person's running style or how they're doing a certain rep on a weight, and uh, you have to kind of be critical. And so it's easy for a pastor sometimes, and myself, you become overly critical, and you have to try to find this balance because uh, just several verses later, Jesus basically says, actually, you should judge fruit. You should, you should judge a person by the fruit, and the fruit is determinant of, of what could be in their inward, their heart, their attitude. Uh, and so it's hard as a pastor, and if you've been around pastors who maybe you felt like judged and, 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 and then really critical of you, you know, I, like, I feel that um, because I, I constantly am asking myself, like, am I, where am I at? Am I, one, am I too critical? Am I not critical enough? Like, it's a, it's a hard job. And, um, and, and this passage gives me, gives me, like, a lot to think about. And all, all I know is that when I read a lot of the New Testament letters, or I read Paul's writings, and uh, he talks a lot about unity and a lot about the things that will, will separate unity, like malice and slander and envy and jealousy and fits of rage and anger and and so I think when we start to look at judging, we have to think about what, what, what is the goal in judging, right? If you have a fitness instructor, what is their goal in confronting you about something? Is it just to be mean? Hopefully not. Is it so they feel better? Hopefully not. But a lot of times we bring our baggage into those things. It's why someone who can be incredibly critical of something most likely has a lot of internal struggle that's going on. They're trying to make themselves feel better, to elevate themselves and feel more prideful. And this is why I think Christians often can be some of the most critical people because we, we know where we should be, right? We're looking at Jesus and we're like, man, I am like not even close, right? In fact, I feel like I just went down this week, right? Uh, and so then it's easier to look at others to condemn them for what they're doing and it makes you feel better about yourself. And that's counterintuitive to what Jesus is saying and counterintuitive to the gospel because it must be rooted first in understanding who Jesus says you are, not who you are in, in light of other people. Uh, one, one commentator, he made a joke about, uh, about this verse and how Jesus says there's kind of this reciprocation, right? Like that if we judge others, we will be judged by the same standard, meaning God will judge us by the standard at which we judge others, which is terrifying if you think about it. And, and the commentator jokes and he says, this is, the, this is true to the proverb, people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. Meaning if, like, if you're not capable of taking it, don't give it, Right? I don't know if you've met people like that who can tell you everything you're doing wrong and you like say one little thing and they're just like, they can't do it, right? They just can't have it. Um, and in the same way, that's, that's kind of what this is getting at, right? Like if, if we have security, stability, and humility, we should be able to confront these type of things. But a lot of times the people doing it are not doing it rooted in a good heart. They're doing it rooted in selfishness, pride, jealousy, whatever it may be, these things Paul talks about. And so there's two, there's two areas that we got to acknowledge in this parable. Uh, that it's just practical, right? He uses a very practical illustration. Uh, one is the inappropriateness of drawing attention to another's failing when yours is much greater, right? So it'd be, it'd be as if, you know, if I was just an alcoholic and I was drinking tons of alcohol every single day and then I, like, yelled at someone for smoking a cigarette and I'm like, hey, that, that can kill you, you know? You're like, hmm, so can 10, 10 bottles of alcohol a day, you know? And, and it's this, it's, it's, and everyone can see it, right? They're like, well, this guy's crazy. What, what is he thinking? Like, how dare he confront that person when he has his very own baggage? And I've realized that if you spend enough time 
understanding the grace that God has given you for your shortcomings, you actually don't have a lot of time to judge other people because you have a lot of stuff to deal with. And so the first thing is we, we have to acknowledge humility as the foundation. So whenever we're like thinking about judging others, if we are not acknowledging humility in the, in the conversation, in the thoughts, we're already off because we're, we're already building what Jesus was, what knew would happen, which is pride, thinking we're better, thinking we don't have any problems, our sins are less than others, whatever it may be. The second one, which is what he kind of jokes about, is the, just the impracticability and insincerity of offering to help someone with a speck in their eye when you have a massive log in their eye. This is, this is a good illustration. Um, I don't know, this is a stage prop, so hopefully they don't get mad at me, but this is just a giant two by four, you know, and it's like, you know, if, if Paul, I already, you already was a great demonstration, so it'd be like if Paul had a piece of sawdust in his eye, and I was like, hey, Paul, man, you got something in your eye, dude. Get that out of there, man. Come on now. You know, and Paul's like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, how can you even see that with, with a two-by-four in your eye? And uh, I don't know if you've ever done any, like, carpentry or woodwork, um, but the thing is, that would be terrible. But also, I don't know if you've ever gotten sawdust in your eye. It's terrible. It's like the worst thing ever. In fact, I'm not saying I'd rather have the beam in my eye, but I'm just saying that, like, I've been scratching my eyes for days after deciding to sand something without glasses on. I'm like, oh, I'll be fine, and then just shreds of wood in my eye. So they're both bad, right? Let's acknowledge that. They're both not good. You don't want either one of those. But it's almost comical when somebody comes at you and says, hey, uh, yeah, you got something in your eye when you have this giant thing you're dealing with, right? And so what happens, though, is when we, we don't even acknowledge that, what we do is we try to hide the beam, right? We try to act like someone else. And what we become in verse 5 and what Jesus calls us the only time in the gospel is hypocrites, Hypocrites is a root word in the Greek. It basically means to play act, to play someone else, to be two-faced. And, and so what you think is, well, I have this beam in my eye, but I'll just kind of act like it's not there. And I'll go up to someone, and I won't let them into this area of my life, because if they knew, then they wouldn't respect me to talk about the spec, right? That's why pastors have a hard time, because uh, it's hard for us to just air out all of our dirty laundry in front of everyone on the stage every Sunday, and be like, here's my beam, and you all be like, oh, that's okay. But then if we want to you know, critique someone, or like, hey, you have a speck in your eye, it can be hard sometimes because we want to be honest about the things we're dealing with, but it also is, we're all broken, right? We all have things that we're dealing with. And so it's a, it's a hard line personally as a pastor, but I think as Christians it's hard because we, we feel this with other Christians the same way. But th- this, this, uh, this idea of verse 1 through 5, Jesus calls us hypocrites, and, and he gives us this easy illustration. Just whatever you judge, you'll be judged equally. Whatever measure you give is the same measure you'll get. And so what a lot of people do, and this is one of the most like, misquoted verses, Miley Cyrus is guilty of it. I'm sorry if you like Miley Cyrus, but she says, only God can judge us, you know, if you know the song. Um, all right, it's fine. That's, I guess I miss, you guys missed that, um, that, that joke. It's fine. Um, she says only God can judge us. Lots of people say that. In fact, I think it's like a bumper sticker. And uh, somewhat true, in terms of salvation and the things of God, yes, only God is, is, is the judge of that. Uh, but actually, that would kind of dissipate and, and ruin the entire point of the church and community. God has given us his bride, his idea of community. In fact, Jesus says he's um, about to be led away, to be crucified. He has this prayer in John 17, and the, most of the prayer is all about unity among his people. And unity among his people is a body that works together and a body that's willing to call out specks in people's eyes. So we can't just read this, and we can't just, like, Say, I don't know, say you have a friend who's been getting on you about something in your life, right? And you're frustrated, and you're just like, you just shut up. You don't know. God, only God can judge me. You don't have a right. You're not allowed. Actually, they do. 
Because you look in verse 5, the second part, after you hypocrite, it says, first, remove the beam from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There is allowed to be a critique, for better words, of someone else. Now, that's what makes people better. That's why there's community around us, is people are able to find out, and this brings us the way back to the two pilots in the blind spot, full circle, right? is that we have blind spots that we might not be aware of. We have specks in our eyes that, that are causing us pain and problems. We might not even know they're there. And someone else, if, if, they, if they take the beam out, they acknowledge humility and grace, they can help us. And it's a beautiful idea. It's a beautiful way to do it. And notice how Jesus doesn't say that until verse 5, right? He doesn't like make it sound like, yeah, you should go judge him and then figure yourself out. He says, no, figure yourself out first, rooted in humility, and then you'll be able to help that person. Both of you will be able to grow together. And I think about this with the co-pilot, obviously, as illustration, but with a disciple or like a really good friend or mentor or a pastor or whatever that may be, there's, there's beauty in them being able to help you with that speck in your eye, that nuisance that you have. And maybe it could be bigger than a speck, could be a splinter, it could be a beam as well. Uh, but unless you're, if you're going to be that person for someone, you have to be willing to acknowledge your own beam. And, but I think that we shouldn't then become fearful because of this, that oh man, well, we just, like, I don't ever feel adequate ever being critical of anyone because I have so much, I have so much, so many problems. Um, because if you think about that, that would be a whole church of people who are only concerned about their own problems and not others. And so there is kind of this, this dance that Jesus gives us here, and this is why he gives us verse 6, which is, like, so confusing. If you've ever read it, you probably were just like, I want to tear that out. I have no idea what it means. It's this weird cryptic verse that Jesus gives us, but it explains exactly this tension that we might have. He says in verse 6, after he um, just talked about being able to potentially judge someone if you remove the beam from your own eye, that uh, we do not give what is holy to dogs or to throw your pearls before pigs. Otherwise, they'll trample them under their feet and turn around and tear you to pieces. Uh, you're like, that's just weird out of left field. It doesn't seem to make sense. We were talking about beams and splinters, and now we're talking about pigs and dogs and pearls. And what Jesus is getting at here is, and this is like I said, he knows the human heart, and the human heart, one through five, what it does is it starts to just judge everyone because we think we're humble, we are not acknowledging our blind spots, and we go around telling people how to live their lives with maybe somewhat good intent, like you're trying to help people, right? You know this thing isn't good for them, or you see this thing maybe they don't see, or in young, in young people's terms, they're dating this toxic guy or girl, and you need to, like, save them from their relationship, right? Like, these things you feel like you need to do, and Jesus knows that, and, he, and then he gives us this, this, this verse in verse 6, and here's what it means. Um, we, have, we have two kind of, we have kind of chaos here. We have two different pieces. We have holy and pearls, and then we have swine or pigs, depending on your version, and dogs. So we have what's holy and what's clean, and then what's unclean. Now, we live in a culture, we don't really care about clean and unclean. Like, I'm not talking like there was a hair in my food. I'm talking like ritually and culturally unclean and clean, uh, which is more of like a Middle East culture. And what he's saying here is that the things that are they're holy, that are good, the word of God, the truth of the gospel that sets us free, that freedom, if it is given to people who don't care about it at all, who are, who are maybe even antagonistic towards it, it's not going to do any good. In fact, it might actually do more harm because what happens is they'll turn around and tear you to pieces. So what he's saying here, and this is exactly where I think this is the most beautiful piece of this passage that everybody misses. They stop reading it like verse 3 and they make a song like Miley Cyrus, is that there is judgment allowed, but there is judgment allowed for those who are willing to receive it by following Jesus and bearing that cross. 
And so what happens is, is people don't follow this, maybe because they don't know what it means, I don't know, probably just don't care, but that we start judging everyone, and then what do we know? Christians are the most hypocritical people that they know, right? Because they want everyone else to live their life, because they think that their truth comes from the same place. And, and then we know that is not the case for a lot of people who are agnostic or atheist or of a different religion. And this, this passage is, is incredibly encouraging for me because what this says is there's probably a person in your life that you've dealt with this very thing on. They're a family member or a friend, and they're like, maybe they say they're Christian or maybe, maybe they're not, but you've seen things in their life, you want to bring it up. You, wanna, you know it's good for them to help them find freedom in it, and they want nothing to do with it. And so you've had difficulty, you, you know, you've tried and tried, or maybe you've just been like, you know what, I'm just not ever going to bring it up again. Like, it's not worth our relationship, right? This is Jesus giving you a beautiful, discerning um, piece to, to put into this. It's making you not feel guilty because you have not shoved your truth down their throat, but it's also encouraging you to, to really think and pray through, like, where is this person at? Can I expect this person to care about the teachings of Jesus, because if they don't, then why, why am I the one to point this out, right? It's the same reason why when people walk through these doors on a Sunday, we don't immediately grill them and ask them, what's the 20 sins you're dealing with, and let's just, let's knock them all out right here, you know, let's just stop doing all those. Because one, I have my own sins I'm dealing with. Two, even if I'm willing to acknowledge those and, and come with humility, if that person doesn't have the same truth and belief in Jesus that I do, then it's pointless, right? So I think as a church, and we're not like a million people, but where it's a start is we can be loving Christians to people who aren't Christians because this passage gives us what we need. It lets us know the weight is not on you to fix people who don't believe in him. Jesus is saying, There's, don't, don't give what's holy. Let me handle that because otherwise you're going to have tons of chaos and problems. You're going to judge people that are not rightfully judged by you but by me and I will handle them. And in fact, I would rather Jesus be the judge and also the witness to that person than myself, because I would not do very good. And, and it, so I, I just encourage you to think about this. What, what is there, maybe there's someone in your life, maybe there's relationships, maybe you've been fearful of having conversations because you felt like guilty, like you need to say something, but you also know it probably won't go well. And so you get to ask yourself, okay, is this person following the same belief that I am? Is this person really following Jesus? Uh, you know, they say they're a Christian, but what does that really mean? Do they really follow Jesus? So they walk in his steps? Because if they do, when they bear their cross, they're also bearing humility. They're bearing the willingness to let people in, the willingness to let people um, find their blind spots and help them, because that's what the church is for. And that's why followers of Jesus, you know, need to be in a church community, because that's the whole point of it, is we, we are a body that works together, that finds problems, that works together. So if you're kind of looking for like one sentence, you know, we call it the big idea, that you can write down. It's that followers of Jesus must discern our own faults before we examine the faults of others. And I would say verse six, others is other followers of Jesus. Now, logistically and practically, this is really difficult because, um, I don't know if you're around non-Christians or people who are maybe antagonistic towards Jesus and church, and, but it's hard sometimes to live life with them because you still might think what you're doing is wrong no matter what you believe. Like, you know, going out and having 15 beers two nights a week is just not good no matter what. Not good for your body. Whether you know Jesus or not, you shouldn't do it. And so it's difficult sometimes because you want to be loving, but you also, it's, I mean, it's literally politics, right? We deal with this all the time in politics, trying to figure out our belief as a Christian is this. Other people aren't Christians, but can they still have the same belief without the same truth? It's, it's, it's messy. And so I'm not saying it's easy, 
But what I'm saying is, are we actually t- heeding Jesus' words? Are we acknowledging our own faults first? Are we willing to go there? Because we can't lead people where we haven't gone. And so I have three questions. This is just to, to reflect on, to ask yourself. The first one starts with yourself. Where have I been overly critical to someone or something without self-analysis first? could be on anything. could be your job. could be a person in your life. could be church. could be me. could be who knows, right? Where have I been overly critical and not done self-analysis myself? That was weird. Second question. Do I have, this is a really important one, do I have anyone in my life who I willingly let in enough to see and call out my own blind spots, my own specs? And notice how the, the, the phrase here is, do I have anyone in my life who I willingly let in enough to see? This is incredibly important. As, as young followers of Jesus, it's so easy to walk in here and be, be double-minded, like two-sided, hypocritical, and no one really know. Meaning you can share parts of your life with people and they think they know you, but even Chelsea's saying, like, it, you, know, you can get good at hiding it. Are you willingly letting out the parts of you that might have specs in them? That's why in our core groups, you know, we have a list of questions, and, and you don't go through them every week, but you ask yourself honestly, and people ask you any of these questions. They deal with money. They deal with thinking thoughts behind other people's backs. They deal with cheating and lying and stealing, whatever it may be, right? All these different things. And then the, one of the last questions is, have you been honest with me? Maybe the better question is, are, are you willingly being open with me? You can't expect people to just see specks in your eyes if you're hiding your eyes all the time. And, and I think that's the terrifying part of community, but that's what following Jesus means. When we follow Jesus, we follow his bride, and his bride is the church. And I think that is for young people is like the one thing that I just, I wish I could like just really promote because it's hard, but I would rather have someone help me remove the speck than just have to live with it for the rest of my life. Even though it's just a tiny speck, it's obnoxious. If you don't believe me, next week I'm going to sand my sunroom. You can come and not wear glasses and let me know how it goes. <laughs> Third question and last one. Is there a situation or a person or a relationship in my life right now where I truly need discernment and I need to pray for wisdom and discernment and the Holy Spirit's guidance in approaching them? Meaning, is there a person in your life right now where you've, like, this is like you've wrestled, right? You're in this tension where there's something in their life that you've seen, there's a speck, you want to come at it with humility. You want to acknowledge the beam. You want to be able to uh, figure out, you know, is this person a Christian? Is this someone that I can, I can call out something in their life? And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm saying, are you, uh, are you praying about it? Because that, the Spirit is going to give you that discernment. That's, that's the gift, one of the gifts of the Spirit. So if you're struggling with that, I would encourage you to get prayer and to pray for that. It does not mean you just build gun. Like, Trey told me I can judge you because you said you're a Christian. So here I go. That would not be the approach. You miss verses one through five. But praying about, is this something that I need to, is this something that's been wrestling with me? So as I invite the band up, there's a couple things um, that we do every, every Sunday, and one of those is prayer. So we have a couple people in the back that would love to pray for you. If Maybe there is someone in your life or a relationship or a situation that you've been dealing with. Man, I just, I don't know what to do. I feel powerless. I feel like if I say something, they're going to be so mad. Um, or maybe I don't even know whether that's spiritually, and you're just wrestling with it. We would love for uh, the prayer team to pray for you in that or really anything else. Um, we also take the Lord's Supper. We offer that every Sunday. There's a little juice and cup in the back, and that's just a reminder of, of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And so I want to close with that. Uh, one of my favorite stories is in uh, Luke 7. 
and if you've, if you've hung out with me for probably more than two hours, you've probably heard me use this parable. It's one of my favorite parables. It's so tiny and practical. And this is, I think, the root of this entire passage we have to realize is when we come to this passage and we, we see um, something that we want to confront in someone's life, or wherever it may be, Jesus is, is eating with a bunch of people who would cause a lot of flack, right? He's eating with Pharisees and, and what they call sinners, unclean people, right? And this woman comes and she just, she just knows it's Jesus and she's just like begging for forgiveness by basically anointing him. She puts this expensive perfume on his hair, washes or, uh, on, his, on his body and washes his feet with her hair and tears. And it's this beautiful scene. And they're like judging Jesus because they're like, how dare you let her touch you? She's unclean, all this. And Jesus looks over to Peter and he says, Peter, and, and, and Peter's like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, I, I want to tell you a parable. Here's the parable. Two people owe the same um, debtor a debt. One owes 50 silver coins. The other one owes 500. Both of them couldn't pay. The debtor decides to just, just annul and remove both of the debts. Who, under, who understood and experienced love more? And Peter says, well, I think the person who had the greater debt. And Jesus says, yes, exactly. And that parable is the foundation for how we approach this. If we're not willing to acknowledge, one, that we owe a debt that Jesus has paid, we've got to go back to the beginning, which is what the Lord's Supper is. Every week we do it together because we acknowledge we've got to go back to the beginning, Jesus' sacrifice. And two is there's something beautiful about the fact that the person, both of them receive grace and love and forgiveness, but the one who had 500 experienced this much greater love and I would argue that the more that we realize how far off we are from God and our own desires and our own kingdom, the more that we realize how much farther he's reached to save us. And so I encourage you to reflect on that. Um, if you take the Lord's Supper, that's something you'd like to do. Uh, we're going to put those three questions that I asked back up on the screen. You can reflect on those. And then we're going to sing one more song in about a minute. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit Contrast.Church.